Oh, good morning, everyone. You all look really good for it being January 1st. Um, how many have wore pajamas this morning? Let me, can all you stand, would you please? Let me just see you so I don't feel so uncomfortable out here. All right, come on, get everybody a hand, would you please? <laughs> like Alan said, this is not something we normally do, and I, I thought it was a great idea until I stepped out of my house this morning. <laughs> it's fine to wear your jammers inside your house, but as soon as you walk outside the door, it's like, what in the world are we doing here? This is a little crazy, we, and we are just a little bit crazy, but I'm glad you came. I know it's hard on January 1st to kind of roll out and do all this thing, and it just kind of goes to show me just where you are, I think, spiritually, that there is a hunger in your life and what God wants to do. I love the song that we sang here this morning, just declaring God's goodness, like Hayden was just describing. It just, I was just thinking about, for so many people, 2016 was such a mix of a year. Maybe there's some great things, maybe there's some difficult things, maybe there's some things where you just, your expectations weren't met, and I just think as you're going into 2017, realizing God is good, and He's good all the time, and you can count on Him, and it's really important to know that, that He is faithful to us even when we are not faithful. He doesn't treat us the way we deserve to be treated. Aren't you glad for that? Come on, son. It's, it's just amazing how he is just always there for us. And, and so I, I, it's, it's January 1st, 2017, and I, I don't know about you, but this last year for me was one of those years where it felt like it lasted forever, and then it felt like it went that fast. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and, uh, but here we are, we're starting a, a new year, 2017, and we're starting a new series around here that we're calling Thrive. And one of the things that we like to say around here at One Chapel is that give us a year of your life. Make Sundays a priority for you. Come, come each and every Sunday. Make that a priority for you. Get involved with a small group. Really connect. Go further than just, just spectating on a Sunday. And get involved with our Catalyst program, which is our discipleship program. Just really engage here for this next year and watch the difference that that makes in your life. I think it's really important for you to understand. And, and C.S. Lewis, I love this quote by him. He says, aim at heaven and you'll get, th you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Isn't that good? Are you awake enough to realize what he's talking about? Let me say it again. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. It's talking about priorities. What are we investing in? I love this because one of my greatest joys is to lead you spiritually. Because you are a spirit being. You're not a human being who's trying to have these temporary spiritual experiences, but you are a spiritual being, and this is simply a temporary human experience that you are having. That's the reality of how God created us. And so because of that, when you focus on your spirit, great things will happen in the other areas of your life. Today, it's January 1st, and all over the world, people are making these New Year resolutions to try to help them thrive in this coming year. But I want to make a promise to you here this morning, and that is this. 2017 will be the greatest year of your life if it is the best year of your life spiritually. Let me say that again. 2017 will be the greatest year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. You are a spirit being first. And I want to spur on the spiritual 
side of your life, to help you watch and see the difference that makes in all the other areas of your life. Like Alan just mentioned here, next Sunday, we're launching our 21 days of prayer. And what that basically means is that we're just taking a, a designated period of time to kind of really engage and invest in our spiritual lives. And you saw the kind of the different ways that we're doing it. And I want to just add one other aspect to it. It's in your, it's in your little, little 21 days of prayer thing. But I want to encourage, uh, maybe, maybe you've never done this before, but to actually fast. Whew. You want to hear about fasting here on January 1st? Fasting is taking something out of your life that normally you would do, something that probably um, means something to you, whether you're fasting food or whether you're fasting entertainment or whether you're fasting some other aspect um, that you just normally engage, but replacing that thing that you would normally do, stop doing that for 21 days and instead invest in your spirit. Do something to invest and help you grow spiritually during that time. There's all sorts of resources on our website if you've never fasted before. But I want to just encourage you to really engage in the next 20 days with it. This morning, we're going to talk about an area in your life that I think if you'll stir up this area in your life, you will definitely thrive in 2017. And that area is reading your Bible. It's a very simple thing, right? Reading your Bible. For most people, it seems obligatory or mundane or what's the impact or what's the benefit of, of this. Most of us and lots of us, you look at your Bible and it gathers dust or you don't know what to do with it or it doesn't have that much meaning to you. But I want to show you here this morning really the impact that it has in our life. Because when you think about it, prayer is when we talk to God. But reading your Bible is one of the ways that God speaks to us. And if there was only one thing that you do in this coming next year that you resolve yourself to do, do this. Read your Bible. Invest in it. Let that, those words sink inside you. Because if you'll get more of God's word in you, I promise you, you will thrive in this 2017. If you're struggling with different temptations, get more of God's word in you and watch the difference that it makes. If you're struggling in your relationships, get more of God's word in you and watch the difference that it makes. If you're struggling with your emotions or with your hormones, watch what difference it makes as you invest in God's word, as you get God's word in you. If you're struggling to make different decisions that you know are coming up here in 2017, get more of God's Word in you and watch the difference that it makes. And let me show you why here. If you're in your Bible, go to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, or you can follow up here on the screen, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with, the, with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. In other words, the word of God is God. These words that are in your Bible reflect who God is, which means if you want to get to know more of God, get to know your Bible. Because he's put himself in this. He's put his words, his very character and life is all in these, in these scriptures here. So if you want to get to know God more, read your Bible. So many people, though, they think, I don't, I don't, know, how to, I don't know how to understand this. This is so difficult for me. I, I don't get it. Which is the reason why Jesus came to earth, by the way, to give us a physical, tangible expression of God. Look at verse 14. The word of God became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. And so Jesus came as the flesh and blood representation of the word of God. And while Jesus was here on earth, he made some pretty incredible claims about what the word of God actually is. I'm going to show you that here in just a little bit. But my hope and my prayer for you here in 2017 is that you'll, you'll love the word of God more than you ever have before that you'll learn the Word of God more than you have ever done before, and you'll live out the Word of God more than you ever have before. I remember several years, when I was, years ago when I was pastoring up in Wisconsin, one Sunday after I had finished preaching, a, a lady came up. This was the first time in service, and she came up. She said, Pastor, I have a couple questions here for you. And she introduced herself, and she said, I, I, I need to understand something, because when you put these different sayings up on, on the screen, I mean, these are great sayings, but what is it, what is it, you, you, I see a, a person's name on there, John, and then I see these other numbers attached to it. What does that mean? And then her second question was, well, what's the dot dot between the numbers? This lady had never had any orientation to Scripture. She didn't know what the Bible at all. All she knew is that these things that we are putting up on the screen like this, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. I mean, it's a, it's a nice little thing, but where does that come from? She didn't have any orientation to that. And maybe that's the way you are here this morning. Maybe when we talk about the Bible, we talk about these different things, you look at this and it's like, what, what is all of this about? Well, let me just give you a very quick orientation to the Bible. Because when you think about it, when, you, when it, the Bible is authored by God, but it was penned by men. In other words, God spoke it, and different men then wrote down what it was that God had said. And so originally, this was all one long text. But in order to help people try to understand or try to be able to find different things within the text, they began to create sections within this long text so that people could find it. And most of the sections then were given the name of the person who actually penned it. So in this example, John, he was one of the disciples of Jesus, and God used him. God spoke to John, and John wrote then these passages. And so there's a whole section of the Bible that has his name on it because he's the one who penned it. Now, not all Scripture has a person's name on it. When you think of the first five books of the Bible— Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those aren't people's names. And actually the person who penned it, his name is Moses. But we don't call them, at least in our English context anymore, we don't call it the first book of Moses, the second book of Moses, but he was the one who penned it. So not all scripture has a person's name attached to it, but a lot of them do. And so in this context, it was John who wrote this section. Then when you look at the Numbers, the person's name, that section, was then broken then into chapters. And so the first number then is the chapter of that person's book in there. And then the dot dot is what separates the chapter from the verses. So each chapter has different verses. And all of this was created to help us find things in the script, in the text, that would be harder to find if we didn't have these different sections. That makes sense, everybody? That's Bible 101 for you here on January 1st. Now, I'll just show, let's show you some claims here that Jesus made about the Word of God. Look at this in John 6, dot, dot, 63. It says, the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Now, look what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that these words that he spoke, these words that are written down in your Bible, they're not just normal words. 
These aren't just things that, that like are, are in any other type of book, but they're spirit and their life. That word spirit in the original Greek language that this was written in is the word pneuma. Everybody say pneuma. That was the original word. And when you understand, that's the reason why a lot of times if you're around me, you'll hear me talk about the original language. Because when things are translated, they don't always translate well. Because our English language, or if you speak Spanish, they don't always have the, the pictorial vision or, the, or the, the breadth and the depth of what that word means. In the original language, that word pneuma means the breath of God. And so look what he's saying. The words I speak to you are the breath of God, and they are life. And the interesting thing about the context of this word in this sentence, not only, means, not only does it mean the breath of God, it means the breath of God for the fulfillment of what was just said. It's the whole imagery of what was done in, in, the, in, in, the, in the beginning, in Genesis. When God created the heavens and the earth, he spoke. And then when he created Adam and Eve, not only did he speak, he breathed his life into them and they became alive. That's the picture. And so Jesus says, these words are pneuma. They are like the breath of God coming into your life that not, that not only gives you enlightenment or ideas or thoughts, but actually produces life. And it causes you to be able to fulfill what it is that is spoken. Look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and active. Stop right there. And if you're, if you're taking notes, underline the word living and the word active. For the word of God is living and active. Again, this book, this Bible is not normal. It's alive. It's living. Which means this is not just a, a book of historical means, although there's a lot of history in this. It's not just a book of compilation of a bunch of people's writings. It's not just poetry and wise sayings. But this book is the words of God put down in paper. But it's alive. It's active. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit for of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now look what he's talking about here. He says not only is the Bible alive, but it has the ability to do surgery inside of you. Surgery in your thoughts, surgery in your emotions. It actually has the ability to do that and not only bring surgery, but also has the ability to bring healing then into your life. In other words, the Bible will get up in all your business. It's what it does. It'll, it'll, it'll mess with your attitudes. It'll mess with your thoughts. It'll mess with what comes out of your mouth. It'll mess with your relationships. It'll mess with how you treat your body. It'll mess with, mess with how you handle your finances. It'll mess with how you deal with your emotions and your hormones. That's what the Bible does. It gets up inside of us. But here's the cool part in all of all this. Not only does it mess with us, but it also has the power to change you. It has the power to accomplish what God created from the beginning. It has the power for you to live out your life the way God created you to live your life. In other words, when you read the Bible, it's not just information that you're digesting. It's the breath of God that goes inside of you that becomes alive, and it gives you the power then to do what he's actually telling you to do. So many people think that a lot of times it's just a, a list of do's and don'ts. A list of things that we, we need to be doing, and, and it kind of reflects the way how, I, how I'm not measuring up. No, it's, it's not that. It's not information. It's showing you how God created you, but when you digest this, it, it has the power attached to you for you actually to live it out. Yeah. 
That's what, that's what he's talking about here. And so in order, though, for the Bible to come alive for you, number one, faith has to activate the Word. Faith is what activates the Word. Faith is what makes the Word come alive. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. It says, For we also have had the gospel preached to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with what? They didn't combine it with faith. In other words, they heard it or they saw the words, but it didn't do anything in them, which means you can read the Bible and get absolutely nothing out of it. How we get something out of it is that faith has to attach to it. When you attach faith to what you read, that's when it comes alive. And some of you are thinking, well, that's my problem. I don't have enough faith. Well, that brings me then to the second point. Number two, revelation activates faith. Revelation activates faith. In other words, if you want faith to come alive so that when, you actually, when you're reading something that you can actually believe what it is that you're reading, then revelation has to happen. In other words, you have this aha experience. It's like, your, it's like your eyes are open to something that you didn't understand before. We, we go, I, I get it. I under, understand it. Where it's like it, it's spoken right to you personally. Look at how this occurred in Mary. Look at Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? In other words, she heard this and goes, how in the world is this possible? How is, this, how is that actually, how is this going to happen in me? She heard what the angel said, but there was no revelation attached to what she had just heard. Ever been that before? You read something in scripture going, huh? You know, I, I don't get it. How is this po possible? That's what Mary was doing. There's no revelation attached to what she had just heard. But look at this in verse 35. It says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said to, to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. If you're taking notes, underline that last sentence. For no word from God will ever fail. The word in the original language, the, Hebrew, the, 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 the Greek language there, the word for word is the word rhema, rhema. And that word rhema means the revealed word 
of God. It's when the Word of God comes alive to you. It's when the Holy Spirit speaks to you as you read this, and it's like He puts His finger right on something that's going on in your life. You feel like this was written for you and for this season, what's happening right now in your life. The Holy Spirit's revealing it. He's, he's making it come alive. It's where you have this aha experience. I get it. I, I see it. That's what it's talking about here. For no word, no rhema, no revealed Word of God will ever fail. Can I just speak that over your life here this morning as you start 2017? No word from God will ever fail you. No word from God will ever fail you. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes on what it is that you are reading, not, not all of a sudden does it come alive to you, but it works. The power of God comes into, he breathes his life into those words, and all of a sudden it produces something inside of you. No word from God will ever fail you. And look at Mary's reaction to this revelation. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Revelation sunk in. She attached faith to that revelation. In that moment, she became pregnant. That's how, that's how it works here. So how, how, do, how do you get the Bible come alive for you? Faith. How do you get more faith? Revelation. How do you get revelation? I'm glad you asked the question because here's number three. Number three is meditation activates revelation. Meditation activates revelation, which means probably the first time that you read something in Scripture, it might not mean that much to you, which that's why you need to take your time. Read it slowly, ponder it, think about it, kind of digest it a little bit, talk about it with other people, which is the reason why I'm begging you to get involved in a small group here in 2017, where you can talk about the scripture, where you can go back and forth. This is what the Bible says, and you're able to do that type of thing here. And look at the, in Joshua chapter 1, look at how God spoke this to Joshua and the importance of this in his season of his life. Joshua chapter 1 starting in verse 7, it says, Do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline the word meditate. Meditate. The word meditate in the original Hebrew language is the word hagdah. And hagdah means to ruminate. To ruminate. Now, that may be a big word for you here as you're starting early here on January 1st. But let me give you a Texas definition of what it means to ruminate, okay? It's like a cow chewing its cud. Come on, have you ever seen that before? I grew up on a dairy farm in northeastern Colorado. It's where I grew up, so I saw this many a times. And so what a cow does is that it leans down and it, and it takes a big, big mouthful of grass and it puts it in his mouth and it just begins to chew. And it chews and it chews and it chews. It's not like your dinner table where you spend all day cooking and then five minutes later after you sit down and you say grace and everybody's done eating. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we tend to, we, we eat and run, right? You know, we, that's kind of normal how we do it. But a cow doesn't do that. They just chomp and chomp and chomp, and they just, they just keep chomping on this grass slowly and slowly and slowly. Finally, they swallow the food. But then they do the most disgusting thing. <laughs> they vomit that grass that they just swallowed back up into their mouth, and they begin to chew it again. 
and they get more nutrients out of it even after they've put it down and they've vomited it back up. They just sit there and they chew it and they chew it and they chew it and they chew it some more and then they swallow it and then they vomit it back up in their mouth and they chew it some more to get more nutrients. That's what this word meditate means, folks. That's what he's talking about here when he says meditate on day and night. And God says if you'll do that, if you'll take his word and actually chew on it and meditate it that way, where you let it just kind of sink inside, if you'll do that thing day and in day and night, look at what he says. Look what his promise is. Do you see it? Then you'll be prosperous and successful in all you do. How many of you want to be prosperous and successful in all you do in 2017? Come on. How many of you want to thrive in 2017? Well, look what he says. If you'll just do this, if you'll just take his word and begin just to let it ruminate or chew your cud on it, digest it, bring it back up, and just keep, keep going with that, then he says, then it's going to get inside of you. Meditation activates revelation. And this is why we need to be able to build our lives on the Word of God, to get the Word of God in us. And so I want to encourage you here to make this year a year where you read through the Scriptures. Whether you've ever done that before, or whether you've read through many times, or maybe you've never read the Bible, I want to encourage you. When you came in, you should have received one of these. It's kind of a Bible a plan, a Bible reading plan. And, and I'm going to encourage you maybe to do it a way that you haven't done before. Um, a lot of times, maybe if you've read through the Bible in a year, maybe you use the one-year Bible plan or the U version um, form of that on one of your apps or um, on your smartphone, that type of thing, which are fantastic. If you like that, go ahead and do it. I want to introduce you, though, to what Alan was talking about here this morning, and that's through the, that, to, to encourage you to use the Bible Project. How many of you have ever heard the Bible Project before? We use this in one, ch one um, chapel college in training our students um, through Scripture. It's a fantastic little interactive way to read through the Bible. It actually is a little bit more chronological, um, and it adds some psalms in it, but it also adds some video components to it. And I think we have a little video demonstration of it here. And uh, so let's watch this. The first book in the Bible is a book you've probably heard of. It's called Genesis. Genesis comes from a Hebrew word. Uh, it's pronounced reshit, uh, and it just means beginning. Now, there's a lot of stories from the book of Genesis, and it's easy just to pull out a specific story and, and try to tell you what it might mean. But we think the best way to understand this book is to look at the book as a whole and show you how the whole thing is designed. The book is designed to fall into two main parts. You have uh, chapters 1 through 11, which is telling the story of God and the whole world. And then you have the second part, which is about God and Abraham's family, as chapters 12 through 50. And how the two of those parts relate, that's where you find the message of the book. Okay, so let's start back at the beginning. The first part of Genesis begins with a creation story, where God creates everything. And how exactly that happens, of course, that's where all the debates come. But he takes a dark, watery chaos and he turns it into a beautiful garden where humans can can flourish that sounds nice it does sound nice in fact seven different times god says of all that he's made that it's good 
And this is where we meet the first human characters in the Bible, Adam and Eve. They're, they're both individual characters, but they're also representative. Adam is the Hebrew word for humanity, and Eve is the Hebrew word for life. And God creates them in his image. In other words, humanity reflects or is meant to reflect the, the, the creativity, the goodness and character of the creator out into the world that he's made. And they're supposed to reproduce and make cultures and neighborhoods and art and gardens and, and everything else. But he gives them a, a moral choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And this is what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is all about. And he tells them, don't eat of the fruit of this tree or you will die. What's that all about? So up till now, God has been the one defining and providing what is good. And so God is the one with the knowledge of good and evil. But now this tree represents a choice. Will the humans trust God's definition of good and evil? Or are they going to seize the opportunity and define good and evil for themselves? And Adam and Eve eat the fruit. This is the core biblical explanation for that concept of sin, that desire to call the shots myself. It's the inward turn of the human heart to do what's good for me and my tribe, even if it's at the expense of you and, and your tribe. And the problem is humans are horrible at defining good and evil without God. And so now that humanity's made this choice, things get really, really, really bad. So Genesis 3 through 11 is like tracing this downward spiral of all, all humanity. So Adam and Eve, they can't trust each other anymore. And so there's a little story about how they were naked and felt fine about it beforehand, but now they feel shameful because all of a sudden Adam's definition of good and evil might be different than Eve's, and so they hide from each other. Then there's another story of temptation. Cain is jealous of his brother Abel, and he gives in and kills him. There's a story right after Cain about a guy named Lamech, and all we know about Lamech is that he accumulates wives like property, and he sings songs about how he's a more violent, vengeful person than Cain ever was, and he's proud of it. Things get so bad with the human race that we see God decide to just wipe us out. Yeah, we typically think of the flood story as about God being angry, but it actually begins with God's sadness and grief about the state of his world. And so out of his passion to preserve the goodness of his world, he washes it clean. But there's a glimmer of hope. He, he chooses Noah and his whole family, and he saves them on this boat. Yeah, don't forget about the animals. Right, and the animals. So Noah and his family are going to reboot all of humanity. I mean, he must be a pretty great guy. But this is a story most people don't know because it's kind of weird, is that Noah gets off the boat, and he plants a vineyard, and he gets totally plastered, and then something sketchy happens in his tent with his son. It's a tragic story. So from here, humanity grows again, but things are as bad as before. And the last story is the famous story of the Tower of Babel. And in this story, you have all of the nations uniting together to use this new technology they have, the brick. And they want to make a name for themselves and build this big city with a huge tower that will reach up to the gods. But God knows that this city will be a nightmare. And so in his mercy, he scatters them. And all of these stories, they're underlining the same basic idea. When humans seize autonomy from God, when they define good and evil for themselves, it results in a world of tragedy and death. And this leaves you wondering, 
is there any hope for humanity? Yes, yeah, there is. It's the very next story that answers that question. It's the beginning of God's mission to rescue and restore his world. And so, like for me, this morning, I have this on my my iPhone, and I got a reminder at 7 o'clock this morning to read, and and what it does is starts you right there in Genesis chapter 1, but it starts you actually with this video. And then you're reading a couple chapters in Genesis. There's actually another video for today's. Um, so sometimes you have one, sometimes you have no videos, or sometimes like this morning, there was, there was two videos. But, it, but the whole idea is to help it come alive to you. And so I want to encourage you to try to make this a priority. You're going to hear me talk about this all throughout this year. That to make this a year where we're reading through the scriptures, I know it really doesn't matter what plan you use. If you want to use this, fantastic. There's resources on our website of how to do that. If you don't want to use it on your Bible, or if you want to um, look at different aspects of the scripture from a, a different perspective, please, please do that. But just try to make it a priority here. Now, I want you to look at this one last scripture in Matthew chapter 7. And look what Jesus says about this. Verse 24, he says, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. You know, Jesus said, he, Jesus actually said, in this life, you will have trouble. I wish I could keep storms from happening in your life. I wish I could tell you that 2017 will be storm-less. You'll, you won't have storms in your life in 2000. I wish I could tell you that, but I can't. I can't do that. I can't keep storms out of your life. But this is what I can do. I can help you be able to thrive even in the midst of those storms. I can help you weather those storms. Why? Because you are first and foremost a spirit being. And if you'll build your life, if you'll feed your spirit, then your house will remain solid even in the worst tumultuous storms that come into your life. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes here this morning. As we're starting here, 2017, this is not about making New Year's resolutions. I don't know how, if you are that type of person or not, but that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about this becoming something where you consecrate your heart to, where something that you realize that as you're going into 2017, that a lot of things are going to happen and a lot of decisions are going to be made and you're going to be interacting with a lot of different people, things that you can't even even be able to see right now will even happen in 2017. And so I think this is a great way as we're starting the beginning of a whole new year that this become an issue of consecrating your heart. What are you going to put first? In the midst of all the things that you could do and that could be priority in your life, what are you going to really surrender to? What are you going to submit your life to? And I want to encourage you to make this a year of 
of really putting the Scripture, God's very words inside of you, getting His words to go deeply in you so that you're firmly planted on His Word, where you begin to build your life, not on what other people think and not what the culture is doing and not even what your own ideas are, but you're actually building your life on God's words, what He intends, so that His breath can speak into your life and give you the power then to live your life as God created you to live your life. Intentional, on purpose, full of destiny, full, full of life. Father, I pray for every one of us here today. God, as we start this whole new year, Lord, I realize that some people in here are looking forward to this next year. And other people here are looking into this next year with a lot of fear, a lot of trepidation, a lot of nervous ideas and worried thoughts. God, there's so much about this next year that, that we cannot control. We know that. There's so many things that are uncertain. We, we realize that here today. But the one thing that we can count on is you. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that in the midst of what we're going through, you can be the anchor to our souls, that you can speak your life even in the midst of death. For it's in the, even the, in the valley of the shadow of death that you are even with us, that your rod and your staff, they're there to comfort us and to guide us. And so, Father, I pray that that would be true for every single one of us. That, God, we get your word inside of us. And, Lord, we would just, we would chew and chew and chew on it. Lord, that as we meditate on your word, that revelation would come, that faith would arise inside of us, that would cause your word to come alive in us, that in everything that we do in 2017, that it would be successful and it would be prosperous because we're planted by your streams of living water. Father, I pray that for every single person here today, that that would be what marks this year, that 2017 would truly be the greatest year of our lives because it's the best year of our lives spiritually. Father, I pray that over every one of us. And Lord, I thank you that your word never fails. It never fails. So Lord, we put our hope, we put our trust, we put our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we end here this morning, we're going to have people that are up front that are just here to pray with you. I always think at the beginning of the year that such a, there's so much emotion that can be attached to this. <laughs> Once you get over the tiredness, right, there's a lot of emotion when you, when you start encroaching on a new year. And, and I want to just encourage you, before you leave here this morning, why don't you pray with somebody? Maybe it's somebody that you're sitting beside. Maybe it's somebody up, up here in front. We need each other as we move forward into 2017. So these people will be up front here just to pray with you, to agree with you, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what decisions you have. Well, why don't we just say, God, I want you to end. I, my, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4, 4 and 5. Trust not in your own understanding or lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. Acknowledge God. Bring God into your life, and He will direct your steps. So just bring God into that process. All right, everyone? Why don't you stand up? I'm going to
to speak a blessing over you as we start this new year. Can you just grab a hold of that person's hand beside you? Let's just do this together. If you know this, if you know this um, blessing from Scripture, you can just say it along with me. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everyone. Happy New Year.